Welcome to English 3327, Masterpieces of British Literature from the Anglo-Saxon Period to the 18th Century. Uh, this is a broad survey class of English literature. I'm your teacher, Dr. Mark Womack. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about the format for the class. Uh, this is a distance learning class, so there will be no face-to-face -face classroom meetings. Uh, instead, all the lectures will be uh, available to listen to online. You can find those at slow-reading.com slash Britlit, all one word, B-R-I-T-L-I-T dash one, O-N-E. Uh, I know that's a mouthful, uh, but the link is available on the syllabus. Uh, you'll find the list of all of the uh, the lectures there. Now, there's a big advantage in this format in that it gives you a lot of flexibility. You don't have to be in a particular class, physical classroom at a particular time of day. You can listen to these early in the morning or on your, on, during lunch or at, late at night, whenever is most convenient for you. But it can also uh, be easy to fall behind, especially in the really tight schedule that you have in a summer class. So I've given a suggested schedule for listening to the lectures. And I would suggest that you listen to a, a, about two every weekday. Uh, that will keep you on target. Now, that is also quite a lot of reading that you'll have to do to keep up with the lectures. Uh, if you have questions about the class or anything else, uh, let me know at my email address. That's drmarkwomack at gmail.com. Uh, don't try to use the email system in Blackboard. I hardly ever check that, so that's not going to be very helpful. Um, now, I will have virtual office hours using Skype or Google Hangouts, whichever is more convenient for you. Uh, so if you need to schedule a time to actually speak to me one-on-one, -on -one, uh, we can do that. Uh, my Skype username is Dr. Mark Womack, and uh, my Google Hangouts username is my email address, so you, it'll be easy to find me there. Also, I'll be looking at the, uh, the Blackboard discussion forums and occasionally post on those if I see a question that needs answering, uh, but that's a more indirect way to get in touch with me. Uh, now, Blackboard will be the primary place will be the place where you submit your work for the class. Everything will be submitted through there. Uh, the website for the class is drmarkwomack.com slash engl-3327. And that will have all uh, have the, sil the syllabus, the assignment sheets, uh, handouts, everything you need for the class will be available there. So make, please make use of that resource. Now let me say a little bit about the class itself. This is a class, as I said earlier, it's a survey of major works in British literature from the Anglo-Saxon period to the 18th century. Now I want to study these literary texts as literary texts, that is, as works of verbal art that were created to give readers pleasure, uh, not primarily looking at them as historical documents. That's a perfectly valid way of looking at literature, but I prefer to look at it in a more aesthetic way and looking at it as, as a work of art. And so because of that, we'll spend most of the lecture time, I'll spend most of my lecture time looking at specific passages 
from the works we're reading and analyzing them in detail, kind of doing some close reading and thinking about how the text is working on our minds and our ears as we read it, what kind of experience it's creating for us. And this is going to provide us with an opportunity to learn how to read literature closely and carefully, and also how to write about it precisely and clearly. Uh, now, I don't organize the class around particular themes. Many people do. You know, they'll have a, the theme might be love or war or uh, whatever it might be. I tend not to do that. I just look at uh, kind of a wide variety of works. But there are two critical questions that will come up repeatedly in the lectures. The first is, why have these works persisted in our culture for so long? Why have these become classics? And the second is, how do these writers manipulate the resources of language to shape our experience as readers? What is it about the, the, the craftsmanship of the literature that affects us so? Now, I think that those two questions are very much related. I think largely the reason things become classics is because the writers are exceptionally good at crafting language in, a partic in particular ways. Uh, so, but that will be a common theme that will come up, though there's not any kind of specific uh, thematic thread that I'm looking at through the whole class. Now, the textbooks for the class, there are two that you need to buy. The first is the Norton Anthology of English Literature, Volume 1, the ninth edition. Uh, now, earlier editions will have most uh, should have the the text that we're using. Uh, they might, you know, like the ninth edition has a new uh, translation of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight that won't be available in earlier ones. Uh, so I would prefer that you get the ninth edition. But if you can find a, a really uh, a cheap uh, version of the eighth edition, you'll probably be able to get by with that. Uh, you'll also need an edition of Hamlet. I, I've ordered the Pelican Shakespeare edition, uh, which is a very good one, but really you can use any edition of Hamlet that has good notes in it. Uh, if it doesn't give you footnotes telling you what the strange words mean, it's not going to be very helpful to you. That, by the way, is why I'm ordering textbooks for this class. All of the works that we're reading are in the public domain. They were written, you know, hundreds of years ago, and so you could find free copies online. What you're paying for is not so much the text of the, the works, but the, the editorial work that's gone into them, uh, mainly giving you footnotes and glosses that will help you understand what the, the text means. Uh, most of the free texts online don't have anything like as sophisticated a version of that. So that's why you really need uh, the Norton Anthology and a good annotated version of Hamlet for the class. All right, let's talk about assignments for the class. Uh, the, your first assignment will be five short stylistic analyses about any of the texts that we discuss in class. You'll also have one critical essay, and you'll have two potential topics, one will be about comparing translations of Beowulf. The other would be analyzing a Renaissance sonnet. You can do either one of those for your critical essay. There's also going to be a comprehensive final exam. Uh, material for the finals all comes from the readings and the lectures. As I mentioned before, all of the work is submitted through Blackboard. Uh, assignments not submitted on time get a zero. I don't give extra credit or makeup work. Uh, I mean, you could ask me, but I've been teaching a very long time and haven't started yet, so it's not likely to start up now. Uh, 
if you have a problem with a grade, I ask that we discuss it uh, in private. That's easy in this class. All of our discussions will be in private. Uh, and also, wait at least two days. Wait 48 hours after you've gotten the assignment back. And the reason for that is this. Oftentimes, if you get, you know, if you get your critical essay back and you've got a much lower grade on it than you expected, um, if you, you know, shoot me an email right then, it's probably just out of anger. And I would really much prefer if you look over the paper, look over the comments I've made on it, perhaps, and then you can, after you've taken a couple of days to absorb that, then you can contact me and we can see, you know, if we can resolve any problems with the grade. Now that very, very rarely happens, but it's a policy that I have in place just in case. Now the breakdown of the your course grade, the stylistic analyses, the five analyses you do, will be 20% of your grade. Your critical essay will be 40% of your grade. And the final exam will be another 40% of your grade. So that's how it will break down. And I, I grade on a 10-point scale. You know, 90 to 100 is an A, 80 to 90 is a B, and so on. Again, there's a chart for all of that on the syllabus. Let me say a little bit more about the, the assignments. First of all, the stylistic analyses. Now, you need to do five of these, one a week. They should be about a page, about 300 words, uh, looking at specific stylistic choices in one of the works that you're reading for the class. Uh, for each analysis, pick a small section, a few lines of verse, a sentence or two, and then focus on something very specific in them, a particular linguistic detail. You might look at a, a surprising word choice or a strange metaphor or a, an allusion to, to, to the Bible or classical mythology that struck you as interesting for some reason. Uh, you might talk about the, the use of rhyme or meter in the poem. Anything like that. And give me your insights into what that little nuance of style is doing for a reader, how it is shaping the reader's experience. Now, everything in these analyses needs to relate to the actual words of the text. Stick with the words. Don't get sidetracked into something else. Uh, don't talk about grand themes or characters or something like that. Talk about words and how they work. Uh, again, you're looking. I'm looking here for fine-grained analytical precision, not kind of vague, mushy generalizations. Uh, now, you will post these stylistic analyses into the journal component of Blackboard. And I would ask you not to submit your analyses as attached files. It, it is technically possible to do that, but it makes my life more difficult because sometimes I can't read the format. Uh, and even if I can, it's an extra step. I have to download the, the attachment and read it and then go back to the, uh, the journal and submit the grade. So it's much easier. Now, if you want to write these in some other format, that's fine. Just cut and paste them into the journal uh, section of Blackboard. Now, because the, the, you know, I tried to give a little leeway in the scheduling here, your essays, your, your stylistic analyses will not be due until the last day of class. But I would urge you not to wait until the last day of class to write them all. It really will do you much better if you try to write one a week, and then you'll, uh, you'll be right on schedule. Now, there will be a, a lecture in which I go over the the format for your stylistic analyses in much greater detail. Uh, 
let's talk a little bit about the critical essay. Uh, now, again, there will be a couple of lectures in which I go in over in much greater detail what each of the potential topics for the essay will entail, what you would be doing for each of those. Uh, you can choose either topic, uh, the, the Beowulf translations or Renaissance sonnet. You'll find the due date for the critical essay in the, on, the, uh, on the assignments. Now, the way I've set up the critical essay is that I will give comments on your critical essay if you turn it in early. And you will see the specifics of that on the assignment sheets for e either of those topics. Uh, now, the final exam will be during the final exam period. They're actually just for the summer class. There are two days of final exams. You can take it either of those days. Uh, it will be available for that whole period. Uh, you will, again, log in through Blackboard, and it will be an essay exam. Uh, I will give you four questions. For each of those questions, you'll have a choice of topics to write on, and you will write short essay answers. You'll have three hours to complete the exam, and you can, on the honor system, you can use your textbooks, but no other materials. Uh, so, you know, I will, in fact, I will write the exam assuming that you have the, the text, your textbooks with you to help you form your answers. Uh, but, uh, you know, don't Google answers. It actually won't help a lot anyway. All right. Uh, now I would like to give you a little introduction to your first reading assignment and the subject for the next lecture. It will be the first part of Beowulf. Uh, you need to read uh, from the beginning through line 1650. That's a little over half of the poem. Uh, the story of Beowulf is fairly straightforward. There is a king in Denmark named Hrothgar, and he has built a, uh, a, a hall named Herat. And after he builds this hall, a monster named Grindel comes and attacks it every night and kills people. And this goes on for years. Then Beowulf, who is a Giat, uh, basically he lives in southern Sweden, hears about this and he decides to go and help Hrothgar. So he uh, agrees to stay in the hall and wait for Grindel to come, and he fights him and rips his arm off. So everyone celebrates that the, the Grindel has been killed, and there's much rejoicing. But that night, Grindel's mother comes, and she starts killing people. So now Beowulf has to go and kill her. He goes and tracks her down to her uh, lair in uh, a nearby lake, and he kills her. And that's basically what happens in plot terms in the first half of Beowulf. Now, the, while the, the plot is fairly straightforward, the presentation of it is a little bit more complicated. Uh, and for that, you need a little bit of background on when Beowulf was written and what kind of a, a work it is. So Beowulf is from the Anglo-Saxon period. It's written was written originally in Old English, which is very Old English. Uh, it's uh, we're reading a translation of it because uh, Old English is not readily comprehensible to people who speak modern English. Uh, the reason for that is that in uh, 1066, 
William the Conqueror came in from France, he conquered Britain, and there was a big French influence on the language, and that changed the trajectory of it. If that hadn't happened, Beowulf would be, its original form would be a lot more comprehensible to us, but that's a whole other historical and linguistic story. Uh, it's written in a very particular kind of poetry. It's uh, alliterative verse. Now, you're probably more familiar with rhymed verse and metered verse. A lot of the, the poetry that you read has a, a, a steady rhythm, like Shakespeare is iambic pentameter, and often it will have rhymes at the end of lines. Well, the Old English poetry didn't have any of that. What it did have was four strong beats per line with a pause in the middle, so two beats, pause, two beats, and two or three of those beats would alliterate. They would have the same initial sounds to them. Uh, now, there would be uh, there was no set number of words or syllables in a line. As long as it, each line had those four beats and some alliteration in it, it, was, it, it counted. And Beowulf was originally not written down. It was originally sung or performed uh, by the bards of the time. And this was a format that lent itself to that kind of formulaic recitation. We don't really know when the poem originated. We know that it was written down around the year 1000, about 1010. Uh, but it probably was written much earlier than that. Now, scholars disagree. Some think it was written, it was, it was first created fairly soon before that. Others believe, and I tend to agree, that it was nearly 200 years before that the original story in some form was created and passed down and eventually written down uh, in the year 1000. The poem only survives in a single manuscript, and it wasn't published until 1815. So none of the other authors that we're going to read this semester had ever read Beowulf. It didn't have any direct influence on them because it had been kind of erased uh, by the the Norman conquest. The, the French came in and, uh, and kind of wiped out the native culture of the Anglo-Saxons. Uh, but it's generally acknowledged now as the masterpiece of Anglo-Saxon literature that that is left to us. We know that there's a lot of Anglo-Saxon literature that we just never got. Uh, it was hugely influential on J.R.R. Tolkien. He was a scholar of Old English and Anglo-Saxon literature, and he taught Beowulf uh, at Oxford for decades. Uh, he was one of the foremost experts on the poem, and it very much influenced his creative work in The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings and The Silmarillion. Uh, now, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole, but uh, just trust me, it was a hugely influential work on Tolkien. And in fact, Tolkien was a hugely influential uh, force on Beowulf criticism. In 1936, he wrote uh, an essay called uh, Beowulf, The Monster and the Critics. And the thrust of his essay was that there was a whole tradition that had looked at Beowulf primarily as a source of historical and uh, anthropological information. 
And he was saying, that's not what this poem is valuable for. This poem is valuable as a work of art. Uh, and so the, you know, the anthropologists and the historians want to kind of ignore the monsters in the poem. And he says, no, the monsters are the key to the poem. They're what make it a great poem. Uh, and that really changed the, the course of, of criticism of Beowulf and, uh, from that time to now. Uh, so Tolkien's a big presence in, in Beowulf criticism. Now, I mentioned that the poem was written down uh, around the year 1000. It was written down by a monk. Uh, monks were pretty much the only scribes around. They were the only people writing anything down. And one of the things that's very interesting about Beowulf is the, is the attention in its religious outlook. That is, it's talking about a period that is very ancient, even to the from the ancient time it was written. I mean, it was written, if it was written around the year 800, it, the time it's talking about was maybe in the year 600 or earlier, uh, an almost mythical past. And it was a pre-Christian time. But the text of Beowulf was written down by certainly a man who believed, a, a Christian monk in England at the time. Uh, so you will see and pay attention to mentions of religion and religious belief. What are the religious beliefs? And notice, is there a difference between how the narrator talks about religion and God and how the people in the poem? relate to religion and God. Uh, we'll be seeing some, some interesting tensions in that regard. Another thing to think about as you're uh, reading the first half of Beowulf are the monsters, the very element that Tolkien said was so important to the poem. Uh, there, there are two in the first part of the poem. There's Grindel and Grindel's mother. And think about how they are depicted. What makes them monstrous? What monstrous things do they do? How do people react to them? Uh, how do they characterize them? Uh, notice how they're described. Uh, and think about what they represent. Uh, it's very often, you know, in, in a hero story, that the villain is in some way a, a dark mirror of the hero, uh, that he reflects some uh, dark element in the hero that's taken to a dangerous extreme. And I think you can see something of that in Beowulf. Uh, so think about that. In what ways are these two monsters like the heroes in the poem? Uh, so that's another thing to keep an eye on. Uh, another topic that you might focus on is the distinction between rulers and warriors. Beowulf is the main warrior in this part of the story, and Hrothgar is the main king. Uh, what qualities do they have that make them good at being a warrior or good at being a king? Uh, and how are those qualities different? Would you know? Does being a good warrior make you a good king? Does being a good king make you a good warrior? That's one of the many questions that Beowulf is interested in. A uh, final thing to think about as you're going through the poem is the way it uses metaphors and imagery. You'll see in the poem uh, 
something that's called a kinning. Now, a kinning is kind of a, a, a compressed two-word metaphor. Uh, we have them in contemporary language when you call somebody a bookworm or a brown nose or a couch potato. Uh, if you call kids ankle biters, uh, if you say your car had a fender bender, all of those are examples of kinnings. Uh, and you'll see those in, uh, in Beowulf. One of the most famous is uh, Whale Road for sea. So where does the ship sail? It sailed on the Whale's Road. Uh, so look at that. They're, they're almost like little riddles. You have to kind of puzzle them out to get the, get the image. And notice where those occur. Another aspect of the verbal style is a kind of, of calculated understatement. So it will kind of, of undersell something. You'll see near the very beginning of the poem again, uh, it talks about this great king and says all the wonderful things he does. And then at the end of it, it sums up and says, that was a good king. So it's kind of almost ironically underplaying that. And notice where that happens, and that, that, uh, that literary form of understatement is another aspect of the, of the poem you might want to look at. Uh, finally, think about the uh, depiction of violence in the poem. Uh, this is it's, it's a monster story, you know. People, you know, people get killed and uh, and uh, ripped apart, uh, and there are, you know, swords and hacking and lots of that good stuff. So think about how the poem depicts that violence and what attitude it takes towards that violence. Uh, so those will be some things to think about for your for the next class, for the next lecture. Read the first half of Beowulf, uh, and we'll go into a great deal more detail at that time. Remember, if you have any questions, please email me at drmarkwomack at gmail.com. Uh, good luck with your reading, and I will talk to you later.